Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. As the death toll from the coronavirus outbreak in China continues to rise amid heightened concerns internationally about the threat posed by the disease, questions continue to be asked about the initial response by the Chinese authorities to the outbreak in the central city of Wuhan. Could more have been done to contain the outbreak and are the right measures being taken now? Peter Goff, our correspondent in China, has been reporting on this story for us and he joins me now from Chengdu. Uh, Peter, the number of deaths from this outbreak has passed 100. Can you give us an update on, on that figure and the number of confirmed cases of the disease? Yes, Chris. Uh, so it jumped in the last 24 hours from 82 up to 106. So a uh, jump of 24 fatalities in the past uh, 24 hours. Uh, the number of confirmed cases uh, has, is now 4,600 plus. Uh, so that's a big jump too. That's a 1,700 increase just again in the past 24 hours. And uh, we're looking at about 7,000 uh, suspected cases, they, they, what they call suspected cases. And on top of that, uh, they have about an additional 30,000 people, they say, in the, in the region under observation. So the numbers are growing kind of exponentially over the past eight days. And what are the symptoms, Peter, of this virus? Well, it's very, it's flu-like essentially. So it's sore throat, it's runny nose, it's, uh, it's a sore, uh, sore chest. When it gets into the more serious realm, it's sort of uh, pneumonia type symptoms. So it's uh, respiratory problems and uh, di- uh, difficulties in breathing. So, so uh, these are, uh, part of the problem with this is that they're so similar to, to, uh, to flu-like symptoms that it's difficult to identify which one's the coronavirus and which are the common flu. What's known, Peter, at this stage about the actual source of this outbreak? Well, the government officials are saying that it's coming from a, a seafood market in in Wuhan. Um, this is a market that has about a thousand uh, stalls in it, and whereas it's largely seafood, it also sells a lot of wildlife. So you can get anything there from um, from bats to rats to snakes to porcupines to hedgehogs to civet cats and so on. Uh, so there's uh, all kinds of animals in there, wildlife animals, some of them, quite a few of them um, illegally traded. Um, so the the latest um, sort of hypothesis we're hearing from Chinese scientists is that it probably originated from a bat and then jumped into perhaps it, to a, it was a, it infected some snakes and went from snakes to humans and then human to human transmission. That's the latest theory, but that's not definitive as yet. There have been suggestions, Peter, that, that the true number of infections could be much higher, actually, than the official statistics reports of a shortage of test kits, for example, needed to diagnose cases. Can you throw any light on that or say anything about that? Yeah, that's that's it's certainly the case. Uh, even the, the Chinese um, health officials themselves admit that's the case, that there is now a bottleneck in terms of the medical system in Hubei, particularly Wuhan, but the whole Hubei area in, um, in, in general, and then across the country, uh, also getting affected now as cases spread. They just simply don't have enough um, hospital beds, they don't have enough diagnostic kits and, and so on uh, ready now. Now, obviously, they are trying to take uh, uh, rapid measures to counter that. They're building two prefabricated uh, hospitals at the moment. They're not online yet, but they should be in the next three or four days. Uh, the Premier Li Keqiang is in town. Uh, he arrived in Wuhan yesterday and he uh, pledged this afternoon to have 10,000 hospital beds, uh, new beds up and running in the next week or so, which he said should, should cater to all the, those who need uh, care right now. But um, obviously, it's a, they're rushing against the clock to try to get these um, these um, people uh, looked after. Now, there are, there's a, on social media there are many, many now um, clips and videos and people complaining who are bringing of people who are bringing relatives to hospitals who are not getting um, attention because the hospitals are simply overwhelmed. 
And are most of the cases so far, Peter, confined to Wuhan and the surrounding area, the Hubei province, which you mentioned there, I think is a population of about 60 million. Are they confined to that region or are there significant numbers turning up elsewhere in China? The vast majority are still in in that uh, Hubei region. Um, they are spreading. So um, uh, Sichuan and uh, Chongqing are getting it. There's 100. Uh, Guangzhou is 140 cases. Beijing had its first fatality today. They nearly they have 100 or so cases. But still, the majority are still in in that um, epicenter of Wuhan and the uh, the surrounding cities. Um, in in the province of Hubei, there's currently 17 cities under lockdowns, and, and these are the ones that are getting the most attention, where they feel most of the uh, most of the people who uh, maybe have worked in Wuhan but live in different cities or different regions in the province have, have gone back to. So this is where the, uh, the, the most of the cases are appearing. But it has now spread to 30 out of 31 of the Chinese provinces, and of course it's spread to 16-odd um, uh, countries and territories around the world. And when you talk about cities being under lockdown, Peter, what exactly does that mean? Well, that means people are essentially under, um, told to stay at home and not leave their houses. Uh, there is no public transport. Uh, there no public uh, uh, transport in and out of the city has been shut off. Transport in, in the city, uh, buses, subways and so on, has, has stopped running. People are not used, allowed to drive their cars. You can leave to go to supermarkets and so, but all public gatherings have been cancelled. All uh, all venues, bars, restaurants, and so on are closed down. So uh, basically, people are living um, uh, in sort of self-imposed isolation in their own homes. Another development today, Tuesday, Peter, Hong Kong introduced restrictions on arrivals from the Chinese mainland. Uh, Tell us about those. So this was announced this afternoon. The chief executive Carrie Lam announced that they would um, slash the amount of um, the the, uh, transport links between the mainland and and Hong Kong. So they're um, they're cutting off all rail links for a start. They're they're, uh, cutting the the flights by at least 50% initially and probably more uh, sooner, soon enough. And they... um, for mainland um, uh, mainland Chinese residents to get to Hong Kong, they need to apply for a permit, and those individual permits will not be granted in the in the until this uh, crisis passes. And that's a very um, significant move, isn't it, Peter? Given that Hong Kong didn't introduce those kind of measures even during the SARS outbreak in, in two thousand and three. Right. So I think a lot of this is um, in, in Hong Kong. There is this uh, very very uh, fresh memory still from the SARS. Obviously, SARS, um, uh, Hong Kong was very badly affected by that. So that is certainly playing on the minds of people in Hong Kong. Um, there is there is. Um, so far, I think only about eight cases have been confirmed in Hong Kong, so it has not been um, has not been uh, very high levels reported there yet. But of course, there, there traditionally, uh, typically, is a um, huge flow of uh, traffic between uh, mainland China and and Hong Kong, and they're deeply concerned that that could spread. Of course, there's also, it has to be said, in, in Hong Kong, there's also the political element. This is playing a bit into the, the, the protests that have been um, roiling Hong Kong for the past seven months, where large um, you know, the, the protest camp is, likes to drive as much as possible wedge between the mainland and China, and this is sort of helping their cause. So, they, so some of them have been also playing, it would be fair to say, the political card in this too. Now, Peter, you're in Chengdu, as I mentioned there at the outset. Um, just tell us where Chengdu is in relation to Wuhan. And is, is this outbreak having any kind of impact on, on daily life in the city where you live? Yes, Chengdu is due west from um, from uh, from Hubei. So, there's, so immediately west is Chongqing and then the next uh, and then we have uh, Sichuan. Sichuan's had about 100 cases so far. So it's uh, it's it's not on lockdown, but it's very tight. It's, it's basically... Um, 
It's, it's, so there is public transport running, but everything is shut. Uh, today in my own home, I had the police calling to me twice and I had the health officials calling once uh, to, to check. Where my temperature was checked twice in my own home and then coming in and out of the apartment block that we live in. Yeah, everybody coming in and out is checked um, coming in and out. Uh, and then uh, the police want to know uh, they were in twice as well, asking have I uh, have I been to Wuhan? Any contact with anybody from Hubei and so on? They're, so they're checking checking contact points uh, like that on the streets. Then outside, it's just uh, desolate. There's almost uh, there's nobody to be seen. You only see the occasional person running to supermarkets, you know, and uh, to stock up on vegetables and so on. There's um, uh, there is uh, normally most so many people in China now they do, they. They rely on um, f- uh, food, food delivery sort of services. The, the restaurants are all closed down, so those options aren't available now. So the supermarkets are um, very busy when they do open. They, uh, I was at one this morning that just opened at eleven o'clock, and it was like a, it was a free for all in there. There was a kind of chaos as soon as it opened, and uh, I picked up a head of broccoli, and some old woman ripped it out of my hands and made a dash for it. <laughs> so it's um, it's uh, they're, they're, uh, it's it's a it's, it's uh, sort of everyone for themselves in there. Sort of people are uh, sort of a little bit panicking and sort of panic buying and, and uh, stockpiling and so on. Did I understand you correctly, Peter, that the police were actually carrying out like uh, temperature checks here? Well, the police came to my door twice and they w- they were checking contact points and wanted to know my movements and have I been to uh, Hubei, have I been to Wuhan, have I spoken to or been with anyone from that area. But then also they were accompanied by uh, health officials and medics and they would take your temperature. Okay. They took my temperature in, in my own home. Um, which is an, a, like an apartment block, but um, also everybody coming into the perimeter of the apartment block. There's a it's a there's a gate and there's, um, people at the gate. Then everybody's checked coming in and out for temperature. So today already, I think I've been checked about eight eight times. And Peter, if um, when your temperature was checked, if it had been found to be too high, um, what might have happened? If if your temperature reg- registers at thirty seven point three Celsius or above, the they would take you to an isolation uh, ward. You would be put in quarantine, essentially. Uh, you would be brought to a, to a hospital and um, and checked, but certainly you would be isolated initially anyway. Just again, Peter, to give people a picture, you, you mentioned you're due west of, of Wuhan, but like you're more than a thousand kilometres away from the, 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 the epicentre, if you like. Well, the same same scenarios were playing out way down south in Guangzhou and up and right up north in in, uh, in in Heilongjiang in the north in the northeast. So it's all across the country that you're seeing um, these kind of measures are taking place. It's it's now like a it's a level one um, health alert. So so you have these. Um, you have these situations that typically at this time of year now it's, the China, it's still the Chinese New Year holiday. You would normally have temple fairs, you would have big um, uh, sort of festival events and uh, concerts and public gatherings, and so they're all all cancelled. Nothing, nothing's happening. Um, you know, b- uh, there's basically one. Uh, you're lucky if there's a local supermarket open, and then that's the extent of it. Uh, everything else is more or less sh- under shutdown. There has been criticism, Peter, both, both inside China and internationally about the initial response to the outbreak in Wuhan. In particular, you know, complaints that the local authorities acted too slowly and they withheld vital information from the public. What what could they have done better or what is it being suggested that they could have done better? Yes, this information is emerging over the past few days and it, it's it's very clear now that um, a lot of uh, information was kept, kept quiet and it was not revealed um, in a, in a timely manner, there's a lot of uh, finger pointing going on internally here. The the mayor of Wuhan offered to resign a couple of days ago, um, but he then quickly said that it wasn't his fault that he had submitted the information to Beijing and that only the state council in Beijing can declare an epidemic and then uh, the 
provinces should take measures after that. And he said he was waiting for that information. So we know that the first case uh, was admitted to hospital on December the 8th when local officials knew they had something unusual on their hands, but they didn't know what it was. By the by, the end of December, they had notified the, the WHO to say that they had a SARS-like uh, virus and they knew it was very similar to SARS, but they couldn't quite um, identify it. So, um, so SARS was already uh, uh, SARS was already on the um, lips of people in, in in Wuhan at that point. We do know then late in December that health officials in Wuhan were all told not to discuss it publicly, certainly not to give any media interviews, not to speak indeed to their families or to their friends about this uh, new virus, and they were um, threatened to, to, and told to keep. Um, keep silent. There's, there is a, there are circulars going around to that effect. The media was also told the same. We know that eight people were imprisoned because they, on social media in late December, they sent around um, uh, sort of uh, online texts or, or, or on, online messages saying things that there was a SARS-like uh, virus in Wuhan and they were imprisoned for that. Then... then um, they were imprisoned for spreading rumours, which is uh, uh, which is basically um, what uh, a crime in China, unless the government has acknowledged something, which they hadn't at that point. So even even though the people were subsequently proven correct, the government hadn't officially said it was a SARS-like virus at that point. Then by 11, by January the tenth, they had already identified the. Uh, the genome sequence, and they had sent this genome sequence to the WHO and just to neighbouring countries. So by about January 11th or 12th, neighbouring countries were already vetting for this virus, but China itself wasn't. Uh, and I think the, a key thing was that there was a major Communist Party um, meeting in Wuhan from the 7th of January to the 17th of January, during which time there was a kind of blanket ban on any kind of reporting. Uh, which is kind of uh, very typical in China during those sensitive meetings that uh, there's no sort of bad news let out and nothing was allowed. Uh, the, the local media weren't allowed to um, to report on this on this at all. And it was only a few days after this that it really became apparent. Uh, this The meeting closed on the 17th. It was about the 19th and 20th that it really became apparent that this was uh, spiraling out of control. And they started making uh, common st- statements to say that it was actually a SARS-like virus and that it was spreading quickly and that there could be human-to-human transmissions, which it all had been denied in the previous weeks. And now that the government has acknowledged the situation, Peter, are people now free to voice their concerns? I mean, is there a public scrutiny of the government's actions or does such a thing really exist in China? Well, it's there is a lot more. It has been a lot more open and transparent since that. And uh, there is uh, seems to be quite a lot of of, um, reporting going on that is very critical of of the authorities and and, uh, certainly social media and on the big platforms here like Weibo. There uh, is a lot of uh, criticism of various elements of government, and it's unusual, very unusual, to see that in China. But in this case, be- this case, because the entire country is actually to- is, is obviously absorbed in this issue and is talking about it, it's it's something that the, the it's, it's not a tap that the government can just uh, turn off at this point. Um, so there, um, there at this at the moment in time, it seems to be they're handling things very well, and that they're um, now once the uh, it's all out in the open, um, the response is very quick, and they're totally mobilising, um, yeah, all all um, the resources to try to deal with this. But there is a lot of criticism, both uh, uh, particularly in the on social media platforms. 
And how well equipped, Peter, is the Chinese health system to cope with an outbreak of this kind? I mean, presumably we're looking at a need to quarantine very many people. Yeah, so the, the numbers are, are growing rapidly, of course. Um, we do know, so for this kind of numbers, I think no, no um, system is, is, is ready-made for it. But of course, China can, can uh, quickly react and it has uh, in this kind of, in its structure with the military and with its... Uh, and with its vast resources, it, it can uh, so do these things like build these prefabricated hospitals in ten days. So they can um, they can uh, hopefully contain it. Um, the uh, there is um, a huge amount of uh, work being done on it now. The, the we know the trans it's transmitting in a, the speed is more rapid than SARS. So that it's um, like we see we see seventeen hundred uh, new cases yesterday. But look, but on the positive side what we're seeing is that it's not as potent or as powerful as something like SARS. Now, we know SARS killed, uh, took the lives of about 800 people back then, uh, but it had a, de- a fatality rate of about 10%. The fatality rate so far uh, with, with with this coronavirus is, is about 2.5%, and so far has been almost exclusively with the very elderly and the frail uh, or people with underlying health conditions. So it seems to be not as virulent. So, uh, so people are, so the government is hoping that it will um it will, um, you know, they will be able to cope with this, and that it will be just, it will be in many cases, basically, uh, people's immune system will be able to battle it, fend it off, and uh, within a week or two, people will recuperate. And presumably, uh, Peter, the government, uh, the authorities there would have must have learned some lessons from the SARS outbreak, which was, you know, recently enough, 2003. Is it clear that lessons were learned from that, and uh, if so, how are they being applied in this case? Yes, once the, uh, for example. And, and identifying the genome sequence and the and the way they've put once they from the last week once they they put this high level uh, emergency alert on it around the nation the the uh, their um, standards are second to none like they they have been lauded by the WHO and by many countries abroad they're they're certainly uh, exemplary so they have learned a lot from that obviously the the uh, the drawback in an authoritarian country is is the freedom of information and that kind of flow that's where the uh, that's obviously where the um, where the issues arise and just to make it uh, parochial for a moment peter you've been in touch with irish people living in wuhan how many irish people are there that we know about and, and has the irish government offered them any assistance there's eight living in uh, in, in uh, Hubei, mostly in, in Wuhan at the moment. Uh, eight that were there now. There were more before. Some who've left before the uh, the Chinese New Year holiday. Um, so the Irish government yesterday approached them and uh, offered them um, to see if they wanted to evacuate and to discuss um, perhaps working with other um, other European countries and so on to help them um, to perhaps charter a commercial flight or something uh, out of Wuhan. Um, of the eight that I know of so far, I think seven are opting to stay in Wuhan, uh, and only one is considering uh, going. The, the flight hasn't, the flight date and details haven't been confirmed yet. So, but at the moment, I think only one is is considering leaving the town. The others are all um, in relationships here with with Chinese nationals. Uh, so uh, Chinese nationals would not be allowed to leave under the current uh, regulations. The Chinese government would not l- allow them to to leave because of with travel restrictions. So um, that's one issue. Another issue is that people are kind of reluctant, of course, um, to get onto a packed plane for 10 hours with 200 other people who've been in this sort of epidemic, sort of um, ground zero for, for the last few weeks. 
And then, of course, when they got back to uh, Europe or um, to Ireland or wherever the flight was going to, they would have to be in quarantine, presumably, for a couple of weeks again. So, uh, so far, like I say, seven of the eight seem to be opting to just stay tight and hunker down and hope this will sort of uh, will fizzle out in the next uh, next few days or week. And then, Peter, just to come back to the, the, the general situation, what's your own sense of um, how confident the authorities are that they're, they can actually get on top of this um, situation? Well, it's, they certainly are coming across as being confident. Uh, they're concerned for, for good reason, but uh, they seem confident. The, um, the scientific uh, advice now seems to say there is no, there, there should be, unless it mutates wildly, there should be no major cause for, for panic. Um, the, the scientists said yesterday that the, they've been observing it for the past week and there has been no um, radical mutation in this virus. So they seem to think that this was... Um, this is something they can control. Obviously, we're sort of, we're even past the peak of flu period, so we'll be coming into the springtime pretty soon. The weather conditions will be more favourable, and and uh, and the um, hopefully that should also help ease the crisis. So they seem to think that they can um, handle this. Of course, it's going to have a massive impact, and there's it has undermined a bit, uh, certainly confidence to some extent in the government. It's certainly going to impact the economy. The um, the the um, Sort of everything from manufacturing to travel to consumer spending and so on is just plummeting, and um, so people, uh, any kind of foreign business that's dealing with China has is taking its people out of China. It's, it's put a, va- a ban on its people coming into China in for the foreseeable future. So all of that is definitely going to have a, a big impact on the economy, which will um, you know make make life um, difficult for the government. Peter, thank you. That's all for this week. For more on this and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.